Welcome to episode number two of Where Wine Takes You, the podcast exploring the people, places, and wines of Paso Robles wine country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Now, each episode, again, we are keeping it real with owners, winemakers, growers, and personalities as they discuss the places, the people, and the wines that have shaped the Paso Robles AVA. Now, there is a unique and authentic character to Paso wine country. I want to bring new winemakers into the fold, so definitely tell a friend and share the podcast as as well as entice existing wine fans back to Paso, which I've learned is not that tough. A little on me, I'm a local radio host here in San Luis Obispo County, hosting a weekday morning show as well as a wine show for the past 10 years on a Central Coast station known as the Crush 92.5. Besides that, I just love Paso wine. I love the place and I love the people. I'm stoked you're here because this, it's exciting to share. It's exciting to see where wine takes you. Give me that mm-hmm sound, we'll get by, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify good company. On today's show, we're drinking up some Paso history, old and new. Gary Eberly, he's known affectionately in Paso wine country as the Godfather. He's smart as a whip, knows his stuff, shoots you straight, and can playfully tightrope irreverence with the best of them. He and his story, it's all a huge part of Paso's history. And he's always fun to talk to. Eberly is one of just a few of the OG family-owned wineries in Paso that are still around. And what's cool, the wine's been solid, winning awards for 40 years. Later, though, we're going to introduce you to Jordan Fiorentini. She's the winemaker for Epic Estate Wines. Epic is relatively new in the scope of someone like an Eberly, but there is a rich history there that their owners have thoughtfully restored, and they celebrate the history of the property and how it also plays into some of the first wine country tales that Paso would tell. Jordan will also tell us where wine took her. You did time in Napa? Like it's a prison. Yeah, I did time. Yeah, I did my dues. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you made wine in Napa, but you never, you won't ever find the combination and that recipe, that magic of people and place like you do here. Totally. It's what separates it in my mind. I moved down in 2010. I went to school at UC Davis for graduate school. I worked in Napa and Sonoma, and I've worked in Italy. In Napa and Sonoma, when I lived there, great people. I mean, I... I love the time I spent there, the time I did. But the moment I moved to Paso, the whole wine industry just embraced me. They embraced my husband and now our family. And like, we're just a part of it. You know, it's so, so special. That chat later on. And you can always check out the show notes. I'll have links and info for these folks. And you can also always go to PasoWine.com. What can you say about Gary Eberly? The winery just celebrated its 40-year anniversary. The Napa Valley Register said Gary is to Paso Robles what Robert Mondavi was to Napa Valley. It was fitting because not only was he only the third wine person to win the Robert Mondavi Award for Hospitality, but Robert Mondavi was also one of his three mentors, which he'll talk about with us. We're sitting in Gary's office, which is just down the hall from a 40-year-old tasting room that is about to be finished being completely redone to welcome people back. Drinking a 2017 Eberly Cab, which I'm convinced comes out of the tap here. Also, as a treat, he cracked open a 1987 Cab his winemaker uh, just grabbed from Gary's private cellar. Once a week, Chris Eberly, no relation. Chris, the winemaker, gets the green light to pull whatever he wants, and he and Gary go to town. So I definitely came on the right day. 
I start by asking Gary how the brand has been in the last three months. We've been great. We've been shipping a tremendous amount of wine. In fact, uh, March was the second largest month I've ever had, second only to October of 19. One reason we wanted to talk to you with this podcast, Where Wine Takes You, is because you don't talk about Paso Wine without talking about Gary Eberly and some of the first kind of pioneers who were in this area. Your mm-hmm. history here is very, very rich. You were studying up at Davis and you have an incredible story of in the mid to late 70s, really finding out just what great earth Paso Robles had. Yeah, well, I was very fortunate at Davis work on a doctorate in fermentation science. And my major was enology, my minor in viticulture. And Dr. Olmo, who was the head of the vit department, was on my committee. And at that time, uh, the vit department and the soil science department were doing a, an analysis of the coastal counties, Santa Barbara, even Ventura, San Luis Obispo, Santa Cruz, San Benito, looking for areas to, coastal areas to grow vitis vinifera and looking for the areas that they liked. And uh, since uh, I was Doc, Doc almost on my committee, I was sort of the designated Sherpa. You know, I carried the, the pick and the shovel and the backpack full of soil samples. You know, started off very empty and light, and at the end of the day was big and heavy. And What were those times like when you're walking these grounds? Really, literally nothing is here yet. Did you kind of have, you know, this forethought like maybe something with me in a winery was that even a dream then both dr omo and doc alley on, on three different trips they were so impressed with one the weather because at that time Paso robles had a flight service station at the airport and they had weather data back to the second world war so i was also the guy that gathered and correlated all the weather data and i remember doc almost saying you know Paso robles will be the next premier red wine and when he was talking red wine he's talking cabernet and zinfandel in in california he really liked Paso Robles. it was uh, it had he had said it had so much to offer we hear these stories of like andre chelichev calling it like a you know a jewel of epic proportion right ecological yeah. jewel take me to when you first start working here you're at australia and then the decision is like hey i want to plant i want to put some roots here well, I started working here in May of 73, end of May, when I came out of Davis. I went from Davis to Paso Robles, and uh, I've never left. Not only falling in love with Paso Robles, but I, I really loved you know, the people. And, and it was a very agricultural-oriented community, but it was cattle and grain and almonds and uh, but the people, I mean, they're, they're you know, three, four, five generations of farm people and they're so different from the people that i knew primarily in academia because i mean i was you know i just come off of 11 years of college and and so different from the people that i grew up with back in pittsburgh which was you know very blue collar but mill people people that worked in the mills and the foundries and the coking plants and i i never had an opportunity to be around a uh, an agricultural community and agricultural people That's interesting that you talk about the people and as it relates to the past, because one thing that at least I've noticed in the 10 years of doing the radio show, the people are incredible. And we've done shows from Napa to Alexander Valley to Bordeaux, but the people in Paso Robles wine country, it is really, really something. We could take a three, four hour drive in a lot of different directions and find world-class wine, but the people mixed with this place is really 
what's so special. Yeah. I mean, the people make Paso Robles. And now you have not one or two, but you have a hundred wineries or more that are making spectacular wines. Every vintage, even off of vintages, the wines are sound and drinkable. All of a sudden, we start getting recognition. Yeah, and that recognition, you know, later turned into Wine Region of the Year. We've gotten many wineries with, you know, your tasting room is littered with gold medals. We've seen 100-point wines, you know, normally come out of uh, Paso Robles wine country. When someone comes to visit today, uh, if they're coming to Eberly, they'll see you sitting right outside with uh, likely a glass of the same wine that we're drinking, uh, Eberly's Cabernet Sauvignon. And what can they expect when they come to Eberly as far as an experience? A lot of what I do, uh, and I'm you know, considered the, the old man around here. The godfather. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> and honestly, I really sort of channel Robert Mondavi. Um, he was one of your mentors. Yes, one of three people that I consider my mentors that put me where I am. And I love to sit out front, like he often did, and talk to people. It is so interesting. You know, we don't charge for tasting. One of the last places. Yeah, Mr. Mondavi said, yeah. don't, don't. I remember him saying, you make good wine, you make wine good enough, people will buy it. So I've never charged for tasting. Now, when we do reserve tastings or we're pulling old wines, you know, we, we do a charge for that. But, I mean, if you just come in and you want to taste five, six wines at the bar, no problem. Also, the cave tours, this is legendary, and they're running all day long, and they're all free. Well, again, that's, Mr. I don't know if you remember, you know, when, when Mr. Mandavi owned, uh, you know, ran his winery, before you got to taste wine, you had to take a tour. Uh, like I said, channeling Mandavi. It takes about 15 to 18 minutes to take our tour. Starts off looking over the vineyard, the crush pad, the cellar where the fermentation tanks are and the equipment, and then down through the tunnels and the caves, 35 foot under the winery, and then back up to the tasting room. Now, Robert Mondavi was a mentor to you, taught you a lot about selling wine, but you can't sell wine if you can't make good wine. Who were some of the people that you were learning from, and really what were some of the techniques and tenets that you wanted to adopt and how you were going to make your wine? Because you've made wine uh, for a lot of years. You have Chris Eberly now making the wine, no relation, but that tasting room has always been littered with gold medals. Yeah. Well, we make good wine. We take advantage of a climate, and uh, you know, wine making is science and art, and you have to have a sound footing in both of those. I mean, if you know the science of wine but not the art, you're going to make some very plain, pasteurized wine. If you have the art of wine making without the science, like I said, two out of five years you're going to make great wine, and then you cannot separate science and art. In winemaking, you've got to have both a foot in both uh, camps there. Where do you think Paso sits now as far as uh, being a destination and why it still resonates? And when people visit here, they still find that kind of old town charm, that charm that you recognized here uh, many, many decades ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing. Typically in the summer, well, the big months, May, July, August, and October, those are the four big, biggest months that we see. And on a weekend, on a Saturday or a, a Saturday, Sunday on a three-day weekend type thing, it's not unusual for us to have 700, even 700-plus people come through the winery. And I will be out in the parking lot literally telling people, hey, come around here, there's a parking spot. People want to come to Paso. You know, look, 
you look at the restaurants. You know, you you start like with McPhee's down in Templeton and uh, Fish Gaucho, Cortili, uh, uh, Bistro Laurent, uh, uh, the Catch, uh, the Hatch. I mean, uh, Thomas Hill. I mean, I can't even name all of the really the steakhouse now at, at the Pass Rebels Inn. We have spectacular dinner houses now, but there was no place for dinner. I mean, Denny's maybe. I, I mean, seriously, we would drive to San Luis or, or Morro Bay or Cambria if we wanted a nice dinner. And now people come from Cambria, San Luis, and Cayucas uh, to have dinner in Paso Robles because I think probably seven or eight of the best restaurants in the county are in North County. Yeah, good point. Gary Eberly, Eberly Wines, we're hanging out in his office with the 2017 Cabernet Sauvignon Paso Robles right there on the bottle. I remember uh, stories of you getting in the plane, you're a pilot, and you would hop in the plane and you would zip into different markets across the country. A lot of these places hadn't even heard of Paso Robles yet. Yeah, no, you know, when I first, when I first started flying uh, in 79 and I bought, a, I had a little 180 horsepower plane it was fine to fly around learn to learn in and to fly around california because i could fly to san diego in an hour and 45 minutes or la in an hour and 10 minutes san francisco where i started to realize um and again this is mr mandavi because you know everyone said if you ask 100 people americans who's california's greatest winemaker most of them would say mandavi but he was never a winemaker he wasn't i mean in the most uh, complimentary terms he was the pt barnum of our industry he sold wine he taught me how to sell wine you need to get in the face of the movers and the shakers i found you know when i was going to dallas and houston and uh, new york and miami and st louis that every winemaker in california i'm waiting in line behind david graves from saints perry and uh, mike martini or steve mccrosty classmates of mine and i thought man this is crazy i started going to b markets because i could go to lubbock and to wichita and to birmingham and shreveport and raleigh durham in my plane and it was easy in fact it was easier than flying commercially and all and these people they were so happy to see a winemaker i mean it was like i was a you know celebrity uh even though i was a nobody uh, and I built my label from the B markets up. Most people, they start at the A markets and work down. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, that was, uh, I thought a lot of the guys that were working the A markets, when they started to work the B markets, they would call me or they would say, man, it's, it's, it's amazing. You're well-established and people love you and they love your wine. And it worked for me. Yeah. People are going to be visiting Paso more and more soon. When someone makes their next trip to Eberly, they're going to find that it looks a little bit different than when they were last here. Yeah, well, we um, because we have so many people uh, coming through, like I said, uh, 700 is not an unusual number for us on a, on a given busy day. We sell half, we sell 15,000 cases out of the tasting room over the counter. Uh, and uh, it's half of our production. In fact, it's more than half of our production. We don't. We've never made thirty thousand. We, we say we're a thirty thousand case winery, but we've never quite made it. We needed a bigger tasting room. We needed a, a, a much larger outside area. We took this uh, 
hiatus, not being open, we said, okay, let's make some lemonade. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we are, uh, we're going to have a soft opening and people that know us and are familiar with the winery, I think they're going to be surprised. The decor and the colors and all of that stuff, you know, and that was me in 1983 when I was building this place. And I have a lot of a lot of the girls say that my taste buds in decorations and everything are located perianally. <laughs> but, uh, so I just said, hey, the only thing that I want is do everything you can to keep the room as quiet as possible. You know, and they've got some acoustical panels that are going up, that are going... Because we've been able to increase our uh, uh, floor space uh, slightly, not a lot, uh, by taking out a lot of cabinets. We're not going to sell as many uh, knickknacks and types of things that we have in the past. We'll see. We're just saying, hey, we're a winery. We're not a clothing store. We're not a grocery store. We come here and we've increased our outside space dramatically and we're having a mcdonald's drive up window walk up window when you're out on the deck sitting there looking out over the vineyard where i can get mcdonald's yeah <laughs> you'll be able to you'll be able to buy wine yeah oh, i love with, it without having to come into the tasting room and stand because even though we've got about 45 foot of bar uh it's not unusual for it to be you know three deep even even more so but we'll have a window so that when you're outside Sitting around, listening to music, watching the vineyard, having lunch, picnic lunch, whatever, you'll be able to get uh, wine quickly and easily. Now, when someone comes to Eberly, oftentimes they see you, like we mentioned earlier, right in the front with a glass of cab in your hand. Um, have you changed or you know renovated your uh, kind of chill spot or where you're going to be welcoming people or is that going to be the same? My, my spot will be the same and it will be right there. I wanted them to get me a Barker lounger, but uh, they wouldn't do that. So I'll be sitting in the same, you know, this whole thing. People say, oh, yeah, man, this is terrible, uh, horrible. Uh, financially, it's not been bad for us. We, we've, I mean, we, we're very fortunate. But the thing that I have been most, not upset, but the thing I miss most is the interaction I have with customers. I love to sit there and talk to people. I meet the <laughs> nicest sure. people, the smartest people, I, the most interesting people. I mean, I've, I'll get somebody, they'll come, they'll start talking to me, and they just you know, say, hey, uh, we just wanted to get a, a taste of your wines. I say, fine, well, go taste your wines, but when you come out, come out and have a glass of, of, of wine with me. And, and, we, and I've had people literally will stick around for an hour, hour and a half, talking because i keep asking them questions i love it and if you're ever lucky enough to be on the other end of gary asking you to sit down and have a glass with him as he gets to know you i would not miss that opportunity it is a very very special time for more on eberly wine go to eberlywinery.com Next, I'm excited for you to meet Jordan Fiorentini, winemaker, Epic Estate Wines. She is something. What's cool, Epic is not only the people and heart behind what they're doing. I mean, their recipe is a good one, and we'll talk about where that comes from, but also the history of this property and the owners, Bill and Liz Armstrong's willingness to pay so much respect to the site that was the first bonded winery on the Central Coast dating back to 1882. 
But the other side of that coin that's keeping history alive, well, it's blazing new trails, discovering how Rhone varieties thrive in West Paso with meticulous farming, biodynamic growing practices, combined with state-of-the-art winemaking, and what, of course, does Paso do so good? Oh yeah, great people. We catch up with Jordan at the winery. Cheers, Jordan. Cheers. It is so good to see you. It's good to see you in person. I know. It's so fun to have you on York Mountain. I know. Yeah, I love being in your neck of the woods. I always come up to visit you at Harvest. Yes. And then the last couple of years, you've really put me to work. I always put you to work. We have a, our, we make you stomp grapes. Well, that, that last time I came in, that punch down, I'm going through like 50, 50, <laughs> you know, whole cluster. And, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to impress you because, you know, I'm like trying to be, oh, I got this. And I think like, we gave you like, we gave you a really hard take. Yeah. And it was up <laughs> high purpose, and yeah. we had you tied into the fall protection system and everything. And then Zach comes up and he's like, I got this. <laughs> I mean, Zach is, he's awesome. Uh, Epic York Mountain. There's so much history where we sit right now first of all the views are second to none but the history of this place is really special because this is one of those properties and epic is one of those brands where you take all of the history and then it mixes perfectly with new school technology evolved wine acumen and just the same great kind of people that have made Paso awesome for a long time Yeah, definitely. I mean, this has been sort of a theme with the Epic brand from the beginning. We purchased a piece of property back in 2004 that was a historic vineyard back in the day, the late 1800s, early 1900s. And uh, we rejuvenated that, we replanted it. And then now with the York Mountain rejuvenating this area, bringing it back to life, we have this saying... What's old is new again. Now we're going to talk about the the New York Mountain plantings because this is exceptional. York Mountain is literally its own AVA. It's its own AVA, kind of stuck on the southwestern edge of uh, the Paso Robles AVA. It is, yeah, it's very different. Closer to the ocean. Closer to the ocean, cooler climate. It's really a mix of being between West Paso and the beach. Could we grow things here like Pinot and Chard? Would we want to go into those realms or? You could. And I, people do around us. There's not that many vineyards, but there have been Pinot and Chard Ascension Ridge. And- yes, there's been some that have grown, grown those. You know, we stick to what we know best, which is the Rhones, because we love to have this cooler climate aspect of the wines that we know and love from West Paso. I've made wine in Sonoma County. So for me, maybe with Pinot, it's just, it's maybe not fog. We do have fog, but maybe not foggy enough. Maybe a slightly, just not enough humidity out here. But other than that, definitely. The history here, like we said, is very rich. I remember doing a radio show with you guys. One of the first times we did a radio show together and you guys were in the process of tearing down the old York Mountain Winery to build up a very beautiful and grand tasting room that was erected a couple of years after that. But I visited you when your team was literally numbering the rocks that have been sitting up there since God knows how long. 1882, yeah. So, And then you would put the, in your owners, Bill and Liz Armstrong, they, they numbered those rocks with their team so they could literally put them back together in the same place to really respect and pay homage to the history. That's correct. We, it was like a puzzle. We, we have all these old um, materials from the original York Mountain Winery that was built in 1882. And we actually didn't want to take it down, but a lot of the building had been condemned in the 2003 San Simeon earthquake, which ran from Hearst Castle through here and in, into Paso Robles. And so when we wanted to 
you know, rejuvenate the old facility, we had to take some walls down, but we just put them back up, but with reinforcement. So we used the same material. We have the stones that were in the original cellar. That one wall was able to remain. The other one we had to take down and renumber like a puzzle and put back up. And the same thing with um, the other walls are made from bricks that were hand-fired on the property. And we took those down, gave them what uh, a lady that works with us, Kristen Darnell, said brick Botox and (laughs) put them back up where they were um, and basically added just a tiny bit of square footage to the southern part of the building just for the bathrooms and the wine storage. And that is it. Adding to the history of Epic Estate Wines is the the whole story of Ignacio Paderewski. And I, I want you to kind of delve into a little bit about what he was about. But he was making wine in this area. And his history is really, really incredible. He was picking wines over there on his vineyard, which you guys now own, mm-hmm. the Paderewski Vineyard on the west side of Paso. But he was bringing them to the York Brothers and York Mountain Winery, to make the wine. And now with Epic Estate Wines and what Bill and Liz Armstrong have done is they have completed that circle once again where you are getting grapes from Paderewski Vineyards and you are bringing them here to York Mountain to be made. Yes, it is. uh, You get chills talking about it. It's so cool. It's so cool to see... To look back and see, we're putting the history of Paso sort of back together again. Yeah. Well, so who the, was Paderewski? So the, yes, yeah, so the vineyard I was talking about earlier, that was the land we purchased in 2004. So happened to be uh, owned by Ignacy Paderewski, who had come here in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He's uh, kind of the Elvis Presley of his time. He was a concert performer, pianist, composer, and he's Polish. And he had visited the United States and fell in love with it and actually rode around um, by train and performed back then when they didn't have TV and they didn't have all these modern forms YouTube of entertainment. Yeah. yeah, he was... How many, how many followers on TikTok did he have? He, was, he had probably the whole nation knew who he was, <laughs> but of course we don't all know who he is today. And he uh, loved the United States. And then he, came, he was probably in between San Francisco and LA and he had really bad rheumatoid arthritis. And his doctor suggested that he stay, he stop in Paso Robles and soak in the mineral hot springs here to alleviate the pain he was suffering, came to the Paso Robles Inn, fell in love with Paso, ended up buying property. And I was a very forward thinking man. So he wanted to plant orchards. He actually planted a bunch of almond trees that are still around and grapevines. And then we have a lot of correspondence between him and the professors of Berkeley, which used to be the ag school. Now it's at Davis. And he was questioning what type of varieties of grapes he should plant and, you know, other things about viticulture. And so we have this correspondence, which is really cool. And he decided to plant Petite Syrah, which was called Derif back then, and Zinfandel. Now, he was, I think, one of the first prime, the first prime minister of Poland. He signed the Treaty of Versailles. Yes. I mean, the, his, the history yes. behind this man, beyond his talent as a concert pianist, is really rather remarkable. Right. We have a, we have a, Pasarob- we have a Paderewski festival in Paso Robles every November commemorating his birthday. And we always have some Polish diplomats that come over. And I remember this one quote someone said that from Poland. They said, you know, Paderewski in Poland is, you know, he's part of our history. We learned about him in school. Um, but in Paso, he seems like he's alive. <laughs> That is really special. Because I think he was like the first prime minister of a free Poland. He was, yeah, he signed the Treaty of Versailles, first prime minister of free Poland. He was the first one, I believe, concert soloist at um, Carnegie Hall. Yeah, there's so many amazing things this guy did. Walked around in an all-white suit. He had this crazy hair. Uh, actually, I have a picture of him over there. He's overlooking me all the time. He kind of looks like Albert Einstein. But, yes. Uh, he would play the piano 
and just get into just a huff. And they, I heard they uh, based the character of Schroeder from the Peanuts on him. Who would just, you know, <laughs> he would play in a tornado with like a yeah. dirt would just surround I, him. I'd encourage you to go to YouTube if you're listening to this and just uh, YouTube Paderewski concert. And you watch this gentleman play the piano. It's incredible to watch. And he does, any hipster would be jealous of that mustache right now. Oh, totally. Even He's so today, cool. Too. Like, he looks really cool in that picture. I think that ten, is a, yeah. That's a GQ ad. It's pretty <laughs> that's awesome. That's a GQ cover. Um, I love it. Yeah. So it. It must be really neat because I know you came, you, you did time in Napa. Yes. I, I call it like it's a prison. <laughs> did time. Spent, yeah. I did my dues. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you made wine in Napa. What is so special about Paso? And, you know, we, we've done radio shows in Napa, um, Dry Creek, Healdsburg, Bordeaux even. The people here, it's so amazing, that combo. And I was talking to Gary Eberly about this a little earlier. You can drive three, four hours in a lot of different directions and find world-class wine. But you never, you won't ever find the combination and that recipe, that magic of people and place like you do here. Totally. I, it, it's what separates it in my mind. I moved down in 2010. I met with Bill and Liz Armstrong, who are the owners of Epic. And we just, we had our t- two of our vineyards planted and we were making our wine at Denner Vineyards. And I just fell in love with the possibility of making wine here, of uh, Bill and Liz's dream and their idea of what Epic could be, and then the people that I met. I always tell people that I went to school at UC Davis for graduate school. I worked in Napa and Sonoma, and I've worked in Italy. In Napa and Sonoma, when I lived there, great people. I mean, I, I love the time I spent there, the time I did. And uh, But I always tell people, like, the, the friends that I had there weren't, they were just friends, people that I had either worked with or just random people I'd met, you know doing whatever. But they weren't just like, oh, you're the winemaker, or you're the psalm, or you're the radio host of this local, because it's kind of bigger than that. And it's hard to meet people or hard to get close with them. But the moment I moved to Paso, the whole wine industry just embraced me. They embraced my husband and now our family. And like, we're just a part of it. You know, it's so, so special. What were you hoping to bring uh, to Epic? And what do you hope the experience now that when somebody is making that trip and they're planning that trip to Paso and they make that trip to Epic Estate Wines that they take with them? There's so much. It's so beautiful here. York Mountain is incredible. I want them to have this really special feeling when they pull onto the, you know, pull off of Highway 46 onto York Mountain Road where they just feel like they've arrived somewhere incredibly special. And that feeling will be echoed when they taste the wine and meet the people who work here because we have such amazing people that work with us. And then if they buy that bottle, when they open that bottle and they take it home, they're not only tasting our vineyards, but they're, you know, they have that memory. That special feeling that's like you can't put words to. Well, one thing, you know, you can have the people, and we're, again, to bring up Gary earlier in this episode, you know, one of his mentors was Robert Mondavi. And Robert Mondavi really knew how to sell wine. And you can't sell wine unless you have really good wine to sell. So making wine is very important. You are an incredible winemaker. The wine that comes off of Epic Estate Wines, I mean, every single one is a home run. What is kind of the winemaking style here and how do you play with these Rhones? And you and I have talked about this idea that I call Paso restraint. I mean, Paso never has a problem reaching ripeness, but it's that it's that ability to kind of pull back a little bit. What is, what is the MO and the mission behind the winemaking here at Epic? So like all, I guess, winemakers that are in love with the product they make, I really seek to show where the sense of place in the bottle. So that is the number one goal. But at the same time, I want to make, you know, it could be a sense of place, but you might not like the way it tastes. So I want to make sure it tastes really great. And it's being a, a great example of what wonderful wine can be made from West Paso and York Mountain. And so over the years, I've done so many experiments. I've tasted the wines we've made and wines that have been made around here and really just sort of honed in kind of, you kind of chip away 
you know what you don't want, you know what you like, and you know, the, I love the differences in the vintages, so I want to make that show. And then just have every wine be very purposeful. So yes, I don't want it to be too heavy. I don't want it to be too, you know, too light in terms of then not be indicative of the vintage or the vineyard. And then um, not let anything stand in the way of the, the place. One thing when you come to York Mountain and visit Epic Estate Wines, from the tasting room to the winery, it is a sight. It is, it's beautiful, ocularly stimulating, whether I'm walking Walking through your cellar and I see all of the concrete. We've joked about your obsession with yes. concrete. What <laughs> Some of the winemaking vessels that you're into. So uh, to reach these goals that I was talking about where we can express the vineyard uh, show, you know, I want to say it like the Paso restraint and not have the wines be you know, so ripe and overblown that maybe you don't taste the site or the the reverse of that. I found that using concrete, using different size barrels in different ways, using whole cluster inclusion in the wines, I'm always trying to add sort of gravitas elements to the wines. Wines that you've got the fruit, you've got, you can have great oak, um, but I want to show minerality. I want to show earthiness. So I do that through aging, sometimes in concrete, depending on the wine, or not just sticking it in a normal size 60-gallon barrel and letting it ride. Like really trying to evaluate, is that what's right for the wine and the goal? And not the goal just at bottling, but, you know, five years down the road in the bottle. You know, gravitas is a word that sometimes you hear when it's associated with maybe a person or mm-hmm. a personality. I love the fact that you'll associate that word with your wine. Yes, I, that's such a great, it's a grounding word, but it's a serious word. But obviously, you want the wines to kind of want it to be delicious when people taste it. I want it to be memorable. I want it to be enjoyable. Paso is able to grow maybe 40, 50 different kinds of varieties just in a world-class way. You guys are a Rhone house and you guys have really dialed in your ability to make Rhone's whether varietal uh, bottles like this Block B, Syrah we're going to get into, or a lot of your blends. I mean, your blends, and all, I call them all your ITY blends, your itty blends, right? What were some of the idea on how we're going to blend these? And then the way you make your names, ingenuity, veracity, uh, all these different names, what was kind of the idea to kind of help package these in a way where people can kind of understand what Paso is about, but more also understand what Epic is about? So the blends are a really great way to show your vineyard in one bottle that combined with the different climate is just a game changer in terms of different style and flavor in the wine rolling hills trees you're going to get all of the beauty that paso offers just on this property york mountain when somebody comes for an experience at epic estate wines what can they expect kind of now with the way things have pivoted and the way things are now as paso is welcoming people to come visit yeah so um we sort of morphed into a by appointment tasting. So you, we know that you're coming and we can greet you and have lots of time to spend with our guests. But yeah, you'll pull into the property and you'll just see all the, you know, you can see the vineyard to the side and all the incredible trees. And then the York family actually planted all these different uh, varieties of trees that we're not indigenous to York, but then they grow really well here. So we've got Monterey Cypress, we've got Eucalyptus. It's just really gives you an incredible sense of place when you pull on the property. And then walking up to the old winery, which is now our new tasting room is it's a really cool experience. It's breathtaking to walk in. It's breathtaking. And we hope, I hope that people will come here and then want to come back every time they visit Paso. We actually do flight tastings of our wines. So you will be guided through uh, all the wines that we're pouring in the tasting room, not one glass at a time, but all in front of you so you can compare and contrast. I love this, by the way. It's super. It's what I do whenever I go to a wine dinner, you know, and they're 
they pour the first wine and then they want to, maybe they give you two glasses and I'm, I keep asking, can I have another glass? I'm not right. going to the, yeah. so at the end of the dinner, I have all the glasses right. in front of me. Uh, but I love to go back to the white, you know, it's very refreshing. And, and I feel that if you're going to make a decision on what you want to purchase, you know, you need to have that ability to compare and contrast. Let's talk about Bill and Liz Armstrong. They're the owners of Epic Estate Wines. And we've always talked about this idea of, you know, happy wine coming from a happy cellar. And we talked about on a macro level, the people of Paso. When you get on York Mountain, the team is really one of a kind here. And it starts from the top and then it goes to, you know, obviously you and your team. And then everyone here is just like on board and like, this is the mission. And you see that and you feel that when you're here. Yes. And that's totally them. You're right. I think when we started, Bill and Liz just had this idea to create this sort of work family at Epic. It was probably, it was before we even had York Mountain. And, you know, they just lead by example. They're just incredible people. They're so caring. They're so giving. They just, they just are that way. They're not doing it for anything, but it's just the way they are. And you have freedom with the winemaking. Yes. But I have so much fun because Bill is super into it. And so we're always talking about stuff and he's, he's on board. And it's just, it's really fun to watch the progression of the brand. Let me ask you a question. When you're uh, putting together either a new blend or perhaps sharing a new release, is it more, uh, do you rack those nerves more when, when Bill and Liz are tasting it or more say when, you know, a big critic or maybe you have, uh, you know, Jeb Donna come showing up or which of those kind of make you go, oh man, I hope they, I hope this slays. I hope that kills. One. I probably am the most nervous when I open it like yeah. a year after bottling. But right. um, I mean, it's kind of changed over time. I probably, when I first started working here, I was definitely nervous when I would show it to Bill and Liz, just trying to get, you know, grounds. And now I feel so great about that because it wouldn't be anything new. We would have talked about it so much. Like mm-hmm. I, we have these ideas that, you know, they take years to sort of manifest. So I have this idea for this blend. And then maybe like three years later, it's like, here's this manifestation of this conversation we had. And the critics too, like I used to be really nervous. But now I just like if you have to if you love the wine you love where you're at and you love the wines you're making you kind of just are who you are when you. But talk isn't to it great critic. to get there because yeah. not everyone can be there. And I think eventually, you, yeah, eventually, hopefully, you will get there, right? Yeah. If you think about being like a chef at a restaurant and like you won't want to be cooking food that you didn't like, right? Yeah. So, um, and or, I mean, but there's of course like moments you might get tongue tied. You're like, oh, that came out wrong. I didn't mean it that way, and you're like backpedal. Mm-hmm. But I find in everything like. Whatever, whoever I'm talking to, it's about being honest about the process and about the wine. The grapes have known no notion in 2020 of anything that <laughs> that we've had to you know relate to and uh, bounce the, off. Yeah, of. they're super happy in 2020. Yeah. They have no idea. <laughs> I mean, they are happy as can be. I was going to ask you what what are the vineyards? What do the rows look like right now? Um, it's a, it might be early to kind of say, but what have you noticed so far? A little are we a little behind? A few weeks behind? You know, I think we're kind of right on um, par with every you know, where you think we would be now. And it was kind of a crazy year because it started like it was going to be early, you know, say February when we're all, who knows, we were feeling, feeling like in February of 2020. And then we actually got more rain and it cooled off a bunch. So then we thought we were behind, but then because of the rain and warm weather, they sped up. And then now it's kind of been more like normal where it gets warm, but then it's seesawing back and forth, but never too hot. So it's been a windy year too. So, uh, but the grapes look like we have a great set. So it looks like there's going to be a good yield this year. So it's really kind of like the jury's out. Like you really, every step of the process is important every month, every week. And, um, you know, so we're, we're excited. How is that relationship with the winemaker and, you know, your team on the growing side of things? Are we talking, you know, a couple times a week or is, or I'm sure as of course, as harvest gets closer, you're probably talking, you know, every 15, 20 minutes texting and getting out there with them. What are the conversations at this stage in the game in the summertime? Oh, 
So I just, so Kyle, uh, Jean Grass, our vineyard manager, basically when I moved here, we had a different vineyard management um, situation. We were actually using a vineyard management company, but obviously the winemaker was kind of leading the charge. That was the idea. And that's what I stepped into. And I was super excited to be in charge of the vineyards and winemaking. And that is so super important to have that um, obviously control, grow your own grapes, be estate grown, but then also for the winemaker to be really involved in everything that's going on. But it soon became a lot. Like there were things I wanted to do in the vineyard that I didn't have the ability to do everything and be out there all the time. So I started looking for a vineyard manager and then that's when we found Kyle and we switched to biodynamic practices and we've since added vineyards and new blocks and all that kind of stuff. So Kyle and I, since we've been at it since the beginning here, we're really tight. Like it's you know, and he's just grown into the position where it's almost like he's got the confidence now. But yeah, we're talking all the time. Whenever there's anything about to happen in the vineyard, we talk. So I got a text from him today about some stuff he's seeing in the Grenache at York Mountain. And then, you know, it, it, it goes, it runs the gamut of like, you know, whatever might be happening that day, what, where the crews are working, like what we think needs to happen. So I love that. And I appreciate that relationship tremendously because having everyone be together on it is is really important you know walking through you know the crush pad and your cellar during harvest which i've been here many times before and it's bustling there's a lot going on and then you know the quiet of you know walking through you know just a little while ago and kind of seeing things it's amazing how clean and spick and span these working areas end up remaining with this you guys. is thanks to zach motherwell our assistant winemaker <laughs> you can uh it is and then taylor who works with uh zach he's and then he also does all our lab analyses they are so amazing at keeping the place clean like yeah it is it's incredible but i mean zach that's just how he is and he'll get you know he he just has a method to make everything work and including keeping the place clean. What are some of the cooler things you've noticed about Paso in the last few years? I mean, the vibe of the way Paso is kind of transcending itself. Yeah, Paso is, I mean, the thing I love about it is it's changing and it's modernizing, but at the same time, it's keeping who it is. And so you um, you feel so at home there, but you're also just excited for the future. Amazing new restaurants coming in, ones that have been around that have upped their game. Like I just was at Bistro Laurent, it was like the most incredible lunch. Like it was so beautiful to sit outside with one of my really good friends and fellow winemaker. And I heard that they're going to be actually uh, putting tables in the middle of the you know the park, and yeah. you can. Save her So yeah, you can and go on Yelp. You can go on Yelp and, and reserve a table. table. It's so cool. And bring like, your what other out. place is doing that? I think that is going to also because it's so unique. Bring the bar up on Paso, and then um, I know there's a bunch of new uh, like hotels and restaurants going in, which we had a little blip and things slowed down. But it just really seems like you know we all supported each other when the restaurants were closed and we were take, getting takeout, and um, it's just been you know it's it seems like an extension of what I feel with the winemakers, where everyone's just friends and we want to the rising tide floats all ships, right? It's it's a great point, and you talk about this, and we've seen this with the radio show is uh, these winemakers, you, all you guys, you brothers and sisters are all you know the camaraderie is like next to none. But then to see like you know the folks with the organizations, you got the city mixing with the chamber mixing with paso wine mixing with the main street association mixing with travel paso and like hey what can we do to open paso in a way that is just so paso and so us and and that's what you mentioned that savor paso we're so cool i'm so take this piece of the park and you got the tables and you can go on yelp and reserve one bring your jeffrey's wine country barbecue over there or your bistro laurent lunch over there and and just go to town. it's really really neat it's so neat and i feel that we're luck we're blessed that we have great weather we have lots of space and so it allowed everyone to sort of pivot in a way to like make it work, you know, still somehow 
get open and then what you did when you were open. And it's just, it's really cool. I love it. Well, I want to thank you for spending time with me here. Oh my gosh. It's always a pleasure, Adam. This is so much fun. Where Wine Takes You is the name of the podcast here with Paso Wine. And it's so emblematic of a title like that because, I mean, to see where wine has taken you, you know, from Italy to, to Napa and, and then now here. But we've been sharing some of these wines here. And it's it, what I love about your wines, Jordan, is that we could be drinking them and then in a little while, it's not even about the wine. It's just about the conversation totally. and about where, you know, it's just about being real. And so it's a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you for having me. Before we go, I want to talk about the Syrah. we got the Block B Syrah. And I know that uh, York Mountain is going to be putting out a Syrah too. Yeah, so we've always had our Block B Syrah, which is uh, our sort of our highest end wine. It's 100% from Block B at the Paderewski Vineyard, and it's um, all Syrah. So that's always been a really special wine that just stands alone. It's really cool. We In 2018, we bottled our first uh, Syrah from York Mountain. And so I hope people will get the chance to try them side by side because it's very different vineyards. York Mountain, a little more cooler climate. Yes. And then just like matching the winemaking style to bring out the differences in the vineyard is something that I'm trying to do. So I think it'll be really cool. They're both 100% from different sites, but you know, all farmed by Epic, uh, made here by me and my team. So I, it's just so cool. And, and Syrah is one of these grapes where it's, it's a red grape that can actually grow in both warm and cool climates. Yes. Not yes. a lot of grapes can do that. So so maybe you get it in a in a hotter place and you get a lot more like robust fruit and, mm-hmm. and maybe you get in a cooler place and you get a little bit more pepper, a little more spice. Well, exactly. Is that the kind of differences that you see totally. with yours? I mean, Paderewski, I wouldn't call it. It's it's warmer than than uh, York, definitely, but you still ha- it still has its own sort of character. It's got this sort of earthy, briny spice. It's got a little bit of spice depending on the vintage. Um, lots of muscle in the tannin, dark purple fruit. Then you look at York, yeah, and it's um, it's an earlier in the evening Syrah, I guess, if you want to say just in terms of body, <laughs> but it's still big. And um, I actually do I do stem inclusion on both, but the way the stems present themselves from York, much more uh, white pepper, green pepper. Um, spice and different fruit character just not as maybe like i don't want to say heavy because i don't want any of the wines to be heavy but just not as like completely full as mm-hmm. the block B. one thing you may hear when you're visiting paso is folks will talk about the templeton gap and this is that wind that comes mm-hmm. from the ocean through in the afternoons that really does a it's a great recipe for for making great wine uh, which one of these syrahs is more affected by that that templeton gap wind i was talking about this a few days ago so it's kind of hard to talk about templeton gap when you talk about york mountain because it's so close to the water right so it's like that wind the gap starts is, here yeah <laughs> it's like the wind that hitting the mountain not all of it but some of it will filter through and become the templeton gap that then hits west paso so to answer that question i would say Pederewski because um i don't know if you can call you know like i said it's me there before that's really interesting i'm glad i asked you that because that's really interesting i mean yes it's it's probably the beginning of the gap here Mm -hmm. but the elevation and stuff we're at is so high. But um, I mean, without the Templeton Gap influence, it's crazy because it can be a hundred degree day, but then the wind is blowing at two o'clock and you would not even notice that you're hot because you've got this cool wind coming in from the ocean. And that is hot leaving an effect on the vines as well. We are doing tasting by appointment. By appointment, yes. And we want people to go to the website. Yes, you can book it through the website. Um, we also ship, um, we have online sales. You want to go to epicwines.com, E-P-O-C-H. How many people say epoch? A lot. I they say epooch. We've got, I mean, epoch is probably correct, so we get that too. But, you know, in the U.S., we say epic. Well, well Bill and Liz... Uh, 
came from geology backgrounds. Yeah, so the word epic means a period of grand geologic time, and it really suits them well because they're both geologists. I love it. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Where wine takes you. Cheers. Cheers. Until next time. Mm Two great conversations. Thanks again to Jordan Feeder and Tini of Epic Wines for the chat. You have to make your way there when you're in Paso again. It is mandatory. And speaking of the next time you're here, Eberly will be brand spanking new, so make sure you see what's going on there. But regardless of the shiny new tasting room and renovation, you're likely still to catch the same old Gary Eberly outside chatting away with a glass of his cab. Thanks to Gary, as always, for the fun conversation. I'm excited for the next episode of Where Wine Takes You with Paso Wine. We're going to ask the question, why Paso? And to help answer that, I thought I would find two gentlemen who are more metro than even I am and never short of an opinion and made their roots in Paso. Eric Jensen is the owner for Booker Vineyards, also his new brand, My Favorite neighbor he's sharp and he'll keep me on my toes for sure or at least i'll let him think he is he's also a lot of fun he makes fantastic wine we'll have to ask him about that recent 100 pointer also austin hope of austin hope winery and triana winery austin's family planted roots here decades ago and austin has traveled all over the world spreading the love of paso wine country as well as making some pretty incredible wines himself including wine enthusiast number 10 wine in the world for 2019 the 2017 austin hope cab also we'll introduce you to the executive director of paso wine joel peterson if you know joel you love joel and it's going to be great to see what's up in paso wine country so you do not want to miss the next episode for sure keep in mind you can always go to pasowine.com for more or listen to past episodes but it's just great and it's an essential resource if you're making the trip to paso go check out pasowine.com and follow us on all your socials and we're at paso wine on instagram I'm Adam Montiel. Next time you're visiting Paso or the Central Coast, make sure to tune me in on your radio at the Crush 92.5. And I can't thank you enough for exploring Paso wine country with me and exploring where wine takes you. And give me that sound, get bowing, pass on down till the job is camp out in the trees. It will simplify and work on. Give me that sound, get bowing, pass on down till the job is camp out in the trees. It will simplify and work Give me that moon sound, we'll get by, we pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees. You will simplify in good company. Give me that moon sound, we'll get by, we pass all around till the job is camped out in the trees. You will simplify in good company.